from the creators of Relevant Magazine. It's Tuesday, September 10th, 2019, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and here with me in our Orlando studios, on the ones and twos, our illustrious brother, Chandler Strang. Hello. Um, On the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. Joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, author, speaker, podcaster, cowgirl extraordinaire, Annie F. Downs. Good morning, gents. And working from the Paris office for the next few months, our senior editor, Tyler Huckabee. Bonjour, bon amis. <laughs> you, you could have literally said anything that yeah. vaguely sounds France and be like, all right. Rigatoni, pasta, Italian. That's Italian. But you would have said that. You would have known that was pretty Italian. Yeah. I think, right? I, would, I, would, I conflate France and Italy in my you mind. You said rigatoni. It's, yeah. It, he, said, he literally said rigatoni. Listen, it's, <laughs> all, it's all one big country over there to me. It's like... <laughs> My understanding of 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 Europe is like Germany, England, and then all the rest kind of blend together in this amalgamation of fancy things. That's my understanding of Europe. So is that why the UK really wants to bad. go out of the EU? Because they just feel like, you know what? We just need a little more distinctive. We need a, our brand is getting sullied <laughs> by the rest of these countries. The, the, we that have, are like, really we have into tea, we have cheeses and fancy have- pastries. Like, yeah, that's not <laughs> their scene. Yeah. It's the only reason. Yeah. All this trouble just to make sure they've got, just to make sure they can consolidate a little more, have a stronger brand identity than the rest it of makes Europe. Sense. Makes also, sense. why do you separate Germany? Why does Germany feel like its own country? But France and Italy are the same because there's no food from Germany. No, well, no, there, there's food definitely food from from Germany. You know, this I know. is I, here's as soon as I said it, I knew. Okay, we were here's get in the sad reason why. Here's the honestly the sad reason why, and this is going to make me sound like a very ignorant American, but this is the reason. I grew up near. I grew up near Bush Gardens, Williamsburg, and the theme of that amusement park is Europe. And so as you go through the park, you go through different countries. And but the only main countries, it's like the 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 England section, the France and Italy section, which are really kind of alike. And then the Germany section, which has, you know, like Alpengeist and like these really cool roller coasters. So I think my understanding of traveling in Europe is mainly based on going to Bush Gardens. So that's that's your answer, <laughs> if you must know. So we, Jesse and I, this weekend also had a French experience because we uh, yeah. partook in the festivities north of the border in the fair right. land of Canada, where right. all the signage is in French and English. So yep. I felt connected to Tyler in a way. And I've we been were choosing yeah. all weekend not to ask Jesse if he made it there or not in private friendship texting hey. so that we could publicly know he did. He whether did. He Jesse's flight was delayed a day. Actually, this is a decent, decent uh, outcome of this. Jesse's flight was delayed. I, we were supposed to fly up on Friday, uh, do some Toronto film festival screenings on Saturday and Sunday. Sunday was the Tom Hanks, Mr. Rogers movie, which we'll talk about in a minute. But Jesse's flight was delayed because of the non hurricane in Virginia. And, and so I was in Toronto by myself for a day. And so I tweeted that, like Jesse's flight was late. So people were concerned that Jesse didn't make it. Jesse made it yeah, on I made Saturday. It. I made it Saturday yeah. late yeah, afternoon. Yeah, you didn't do a great job evening. of following up on that, Cameron. 
Uh, well, he said, oh, I'm by myself. It's, See it's you guys a suspended. In three days. It's a suspended narrative. Yeah, and so it's a, a lot of people were concerned about the plight. Here's what I did on Friday and Saturday. Stayed in my hotel room and got room service. I and waited for Jesse to arrive. That's basically he's like in this cool international city, like right in like a hub. And I'm like, hey, what'd you do last People night? Love Toronto. Yeah, I'm there's not a lot of cool stuff around. I'm not a solo. I don't understand. I'm not a solo adventurer. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a with a friend. I'll go adventure. But if I'm by myself, I'm just gonna plop the TV on and get room service. So anyway, it's Jesse terrible. shows up on Saturday. Yeah, and as he, as he arrives, you know, it's like, hey, man. Da, da, da. He's like, man, it's long. As he arrives, like at the hotel. At the hotel, we're okay. wa- we're walking to the room. I met him in the lobby. We're walking to the room, and, and, and I could tell he was chomping at the bit about something, and, no and, and he was waiting for the. How was your flight? You know, and me being the very inconsiderate friend that I am, never asked him how was your flight. So finally, we get up to our floor. We're about to get to our room, and he goes, "Hey, you want to hear a good story about my trip?" <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and he pro- <laughs> and he proceeds to tell me. What he's about to tell you, Annie. So, oh, I can't wait. Okay, so I leave. I leave out of Norfolk in the morning, and I have like two hour layover in Charlotte, right? And I'm really hungry when okay. I get there, and like college game days on. So I was like, I'm gonna go to like an airport bar and sit there and order some some brunch. I'm gonna get some work done. So I order some food. I break out my laptop, and before I can start working, I hear this big baritone voice behind me go like this: "Is this seat taken?" Just like that. Oh, and I'm boy. like, no, it's, it's, it's all yours, man. And it is this guy. He's got a big burly beard. He's wearing a yeah. cowboy hat. He's probably like mid to late fifties and a very, a, a, a very like muscular gentleman. It looks like he is like a real deal cowboy. Like res- wrestler kind of, mu- no, no, no. So like cowboy kind That's of muscular. Exactly. Cowboy trucker muscular. Okay. You know what I mean? Got it. Like muscles that were built chopping wood and mending old, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He can lift wire. heavy things, but he doesn't like go to the gym yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's not a gym type of guy, Got but it. a cowboy hat and everything. So, so, so I'm, I, you know, you guys know me. Everyone always gives me a hard time. I like to chop it up with strangers. I don't mind. Yeah. You know? <laughs> okay. I will also say this and not to stop your story. But this but is it's a phenomenon like with Jesse and I, as we're in Toronto, we're just in a store. We're just in the hallway of a hotel, whatever. I am the king of no eye contact head. Like I give all the nonverbal. Don't talk to me. Jesse, for some reason, every single stranger comes up and chats with him. Yeah. I, and he and he indulges. And I'm sitting Jesse, there standing. You do have such a friendly face. I have a likable it's, way it's the about energy, me. Man. It's a likable way about me. I to on here. <laughs> You I've put good energy out vibes the into the world and they come back. That's right. Magnetic. You put out the right vibes. And it worked. And, and we'll tell you, after the screening, it, it worked pretty pretty well by sending out those good vibes into yeah, the universe. That's true. That's true. So anyway. But we're getting off track here. Yeah, so, we're getting so off anyway, track. I'm sitting there and my, my, my new friend Mark sits next to me and he tells me that he is a rancher and he is, is on his way. He, he's out in like Missouri and he's got a big cattle ranch <laughs> out there. He shows me pictures on his phone of a cattle ranch. It looks pretty cool. And he's wearing his cowboy hat. He's quite a bit older, but that's cool. I'm in my travel attire, which is usually like a baseball hat, a t-shirt and jeans. And we're just sitting there chatting it up. Your travel attire is literally your everyday attire. That's literally what I wear every day. But anyway, so, so we're sitting there, we're sitting there chatting and he's like, he, he, he told me that on his ranch, he's getting ready to host a country music benefit concert and he's raising money for a really cool cause in the community. And then he just starts telling me all about country music and he loves country music. This guy, 
lives for country music, okay? For cattle ranching and country music. He tells me that he sang at his mother's funeral an Alan Jackson song. I don't know much about Alan Jackson, oh. but this guy's got a big baritone. And, and it, Which song? Just curious. Did he tell you? He told me, but I can't remember. But just wait. It's too bad. Just okay. wait. He's got this okay. big baritone voice. So we're sitting there, I don't know, half hour goes by. And we're just, like I said, chopping it up, just chit-chatting, you know, mainly about country music. A few minutes later, the uh, uh, an older guy and, and and a woman come and walk up and they're like, are these seats taken? And these are the two seats beside me and the cattle rancher. And he he goes, I saw two hats, a cowboy hat and a baseball hat. And he's this guy's an Atlanta Braves fan. He's like, and I was yes. wearing a Washington Nationals hat and they're like rivals. And he's like, I decided I needed a place where the fellow cowboy and someone I can talk some trash to because he saw my hat. I'm like, well, you picked up, you picked the right seat, my friend. And so he comes, he orders stuff. Like All this. four of us are talking. And when there was like a dead spot in the conversation, my friend Mark turns to me and goes, that's Alan Jackson. He he threw an explicit in there. That's Alan. Wait, that sat down Jackson. with you? I turn around. Alan Jackson and his wife sat down with you. He he he. he so Marcos, I, I gotta say, Mister Jackson, I am a huge fan. And he starts laughing, and he's like, "Oh, that's great." We sat there for like Jesse. an hour. The remaining time of the layover, me, my cattle rancher friend Mark, who was literally just talking about his love for Alan Jackson and Alan Jackson and his wife, and the four of us sit there for the next hour just. Chit chatting, watching football, joking around. By the end of it, we're like four best friends. It was. This is the best story. I had never heard of Alan Jackson. I can't believe this. The story. guy had. D- you had never heard of I, Alan well, Jackson. I heard of him. I don't you know. That, I don't him. know that I've heard like his music. I didn't know if I was familiar enough with it. The 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 cattle rancher had just got done telling me he sung an Alan Jackson song at his mother's own funeral, and Alan Jackson and his wife sit there and like like I said, we were goofing around, just like. Talking trash about baseball, talking about Alan Jackson knows a lot about cattle ranching, by the way. This guy is not a poser. Like Mark pulled out his phone and started showing off the cattle pics that he was showing me earlier. Alan Jackson knew what kind of cows they were. He's like, them, them, them bluebells or Kobe steak. And he's like, oh, these are that's a bluebell there. Alan Jackson knows his stuff. He is not a fake cowboy. That dude is a legit cowboy. Wow. So we hung out for the next hour. Just just the four of us having a great old time. People were like walking around and pointing. This is the best story. People were like, oh man, that's Alan Jackson. They're pointing, but they didn't want to interrupt because they figured Alan was traveling with like He's with his squad. Yeah, with, yeah, with Alan his, rolls deep. Yeah, yeah. And and so so people didn't come up and talk to him. I think he appreciated that. And yeah, so that was you know that's awesome. That's a great story, Jack. Listen, the moral of the story is this. When you're traveling, put out those vibes in the world. You don't know what kind of cool stories are going to happen. You can get to sit by Alan Jackson. Yeah. He... That's awesome. Yeah, you don't know what kind of cool and your buddy. Your buddy. Your buddy texted you, right? He, was he like, did. He texted happened. me the next morning. He came here in the. Wait, mo- you gave Mark your phone number? Oh yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Okay, there's Where several hey, questions. Hey, listen, I, we I, get, I got me and Mark. Women don't do hey, in airports. Me, me and Mark exchanged phone numbers before Alan Jackson even showed up. Like, but he was like, now, but then he was like, now, because he's like, he's like, hey, man, I got to get your number. And he wrote my number on his phone and he wrote, 
cool effing dude Charlotte Airport and showed it to me. I'm like, I'll take it. I'll take it. I swear that's true. I'm for sure changing your fo- your name in my phone to that. Okay. And so 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 then so we're me and Cameron are at the movie theater. I'm gonna pull up the text. You know, I, we should call Mark. He's a good dude and he would, he can confirm this. No, here's the thing. Jesse exchanges numbers with guys he meets at airport bars. That is number one, Jesse Carey, everybody. If I came on this show and told y'all that story, y'all would all three be like, Annie Downs. Yeah. Why would you give a man at the airport? Why, why I was like that with Jesse. He's a, hey, he's the a rest good of the dude weekend, and I, was I don't like regret that. it. Hey, because he texted me. So so Sunday morning, me and Cameron are at a movie theater at the screening. I get a text that says, hope you made it safely to Toronto. So that really effing happened yesterday. And that was the text. Uh, <laughs> I love that for Mark. That's so right special. Now, it was cool. It was Man, very you gave cool. Mark, I mean, it's a cool story for you. It's way for better Mark, for Mark. This is a high it's way point better. Mark has this told is, this, this story. Well, if he yeah. didn't know it was you, and for I someone normal. Him, I told him, if you're out telling the story and they don't believe you, call me. Because well, see, we that's have numbers. So when I asked Jesse, when I asked Jesse, like, why in the world would you give your number to this dude? He's like, well, because that, like, he's going to be telling the story forever. And he's going to yeah. now text me gladly, to confirm that it actually happened. And I was like, OK, that's I get sweet. that. That's cool. But here's what I don't get. Alan Jackson is flying to a concert. Alan Jackson is worth $75 million. We looked it up. <laughs> yeah. Alan Jackson is that's flying so commercial. Number one. Number two, he has a multi-hour layover and isn't in an airport lounge. He's Listen, hanging at hey, a paid bar. Man it of makes the people. real cowboy. Man of the people. That's what I'm it saying. Makes no after hanging with Alan Jackson, Chandler nailed it. Chandler nailed it. He's a real cowboy. After, after hanging with Alan Jackson, yeah. he's not an airport lounge kind of guy. His friends know that. <laughs> <laughs> he's the type of guy. That orders a pint of beer at 10 a.m. in the morning and like chops it up <laughs> with a couple strangers and talks some serious trash about baseball. Okay, so did Mark tell him that he sang her his song at his mom's funeral? Yeah, he thought it was pretty cool. Alan Jackson uh, thought that was pretty cool, and it was cool. So it was cool. This is- I'm so when when you led me that you had a real story. I thought it was going to be like. Like when you had to sit on an airplane for a long time no. when you were going to Africa, like one of those stories. This is no. such a great I know. Yeah. It was story. very cool. It was very cool. It started it's so wholesome, so cool. too. Yeah. It started the weekend off in like a really great vibe. And then the rest of the weekend was good, filled with lots of conversation. I can't speak for Cameron. I had a lot of great convos out there on the road. <laughs> I always do. I always well, have I convos will- on the road. Hey, I will say this. My tweet about does anybody know Drake's number? My joke tweet. I got a lot of replies, people saying, I think it's 1-800-Hotline-Bling, things like that. That was funny. And then one guy goes, hey, you should actually hit up uh, Shad K. Shad, the the rapper who we've covered at Relevant, is a Toronto guy. And he tagged Shad. And we're sitting there on Saturday and Shad hits me up and he goes, hey, DM me and I'll give you some recommendations. And so he and I were talking and then he was like, well, I'd love to meet up. So Jesse and Chad and I ended up going out on the town in Toronto and he showed us like all the cool local yeah. spots and stuff like that. That's so fun. Ended up having cool. a conversation. Cool. I mean, we talked for 45 minutes about basketball. Then we talked 45 minutes about hip hop. And then we talked 45 minutes about Jesus. Yeah. And it was like, that's the perfect night for me. You know what I mean? It was, <laughs> I was about to say, did you ask him to marry you? Because that sounds like the kind of person and, you have been 45 minutes into it. Guess who rolled up again? Alan Jackson. It was weird. I think he's following me. I think Alan Jackson is stalking me. Jesse, Jesse, I know enough to know you're not a you're not a huge country music guy. No. But did you, in honor 
did you listen to any Alan Jackson? Because I would probably tune, turn him on for the next leg of my flight. You know, way down yonder on the Chattahoochee. I, I, honest, I honestly did. That is not, not, that is not I, his I mean, song. I've been curious to, but I, I didn't since then, unfortunately. He's no, great, no. Jesse. I, he, Seriously? He seemed like a cool cat. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't know much about his, his tunes. Maybe Chandler, you play one during the break. But he seemed like a good dude. And he said this, his gospel album. It may because because like, I mean, my buddy knew his entire catalog and was walking yeah. through it. I mean, he's got he's got an, I think the album is called like he's got some cool album titles. I'll tell you that I didn't listen to them, but they sound cool. One called like Angels and Alcohol. I'm like, well, that sounds like yeah. a cool country album right there. But according to Alan Jackson, the one that made him the most money. And he might do another one is this gospel one. People ate that up. And so, uh, <laughs> but he's a cool cat. Cool cat, that so Alan Jackson. We'll play. We'll, I we'll, love we'll, that, Jesse. Chandler can research and figure out which one his gospel one is, and we can play that one on the break. Yeah, we'll play. So. We'll better play I us out today. I just keep thinking that for Mark's life story, yeah. right? That is like so providential. You know, like yeah. I just love that you got oh to gosh. see such and, a special and, and moment still, happen for he Mark. He was still riding high the next day. Like I said, the text he's I got. He's still riding high right now. He's probably, he he's probably having the same conversation right now somewhere. No question. Down at the hardware you, store you know, or whatever. That's you know? what I was saying. In the hardware store, nowhere. He, for the rest of his life, every yes. stranger he encounters is going to hear this story. I'll never forget you because you were there. I know. That's I right. know. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. You guys are really bonded for That's right. That's right. Oh, and if I'm traveling, if I'm traveling through his part of the country, I'm definitely shooting him a text and getting a tour of that ranch. Yeah, because you should. It looks, I mean, yeah. I saw some pictures. He's got a waterfall. Did y'all take there. a selfie? Did y'all go? No, that far? we did. We 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 determined like you know you didn't want to like I didn't want to make it weird. I wanted it to keep it you know mm-hmm. like keep it low. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So wow, but, that is so. I'm like so happy. I love that. I love that story. It's such a wholesome story. It started off my morning. It's such yeah, a wholesome story. Great. You know, here's a lesson, kids: start drinking at 10 a.m. and good <laughs> things happen. Talk to strangers. Talk to strangers. In you only get to start sing, uh, drinking at 10 a.m. if you're Alan Jackson. Yeah, exactly. If you're he's Alan Jackson, he's earned it. Do whatever you want. As Drake said. You can't drink all day unless you start in the morning. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we, so we have, we have an, an awesome dinner with Shad and then we, we see, we get to go to see uh, a beautiful day in the neighborhood, this film about the life of Fred Rogers. And it's based on, yeah, I, I know we talked about it in the, on the hot list, I think, right guys. Um, yeah, that's right. The, the film is not a typical like biopic. It is a film about, uh, a journalist for Esquire magazine who is dealing with a lot of difficult things in his personal life and is assigned a very brief profile, like a 400 word piece on Fred Rogers, the host of, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers neighborhood. He's very skeptical, doesn't want to do it. He goes to visit him and I don't want to give too much of the film away, but to say it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. He has a transformative experience. There is a moment. There is a, 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 a filmmaking moment that is unlike anything I've ever experienced in the film in in the movie theater. Really, a fourth wall breaking moment that was one of the most spiritual experiences mm-hmm. I've ever had watching a movie. Yeah. Cameron, can you oh. can you affirm that? Oh, it was I, it was one of the most uh, it, it, okay. So I thought it would be kind of like the documentary or a biopic about Mister Rogers. Not at all. He's actually in some ways, a secondary character in the film. It's a very unique storytelling uh, perspective and incredibly moving and, and honing in on an aspect of the impact he had 
that is so relevant in 2019. It is it is absolutely a movie for our time. And ironically, it's a story from 1998 about a guy whose career started in the 60s. And, and it Wait, is when so, do we all get to see it? On Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. And so it debuted at the Toronto Film Festival and red carpet and all that. And the cast was there and and they'll be doing the the you know festival circuit and stuff. But I'm telling you, it is one of the best films I've ever seen. I was in tears the entire time, but good tears, not sad tears. Yeah. It was it was like with the moment Jesse's referring to. Everybody will know when it, when it happens when you see it. I, I cannot advocate enough to see this film. It is a, okay. almost a perfect film. It is. It, gr- wow. It, we, yeah. it, we were Cameron in a theater. Strain. We were in a theater with m- almost entirely journalists and press. People who have been seeing movies, yeah. you know, that entire weekend and, and see these professionally. And the whole time you're in the theater, you hear this. Well, it's because oh. you're sitting next to me. Well, no, but, but a, <laughs> but oh, also, oh, it's oh, a part of Mr. Rogers, right? I mean, the documentary about him. I don't know someone in our age bracket, someone in their 20s to maybe even 50s that doesn't have this like very personal relationship with Mr. Rogers yeah. and yeah. feel like yeah. he's an actual part of their lives. And so. I mean, the first time he came on screen, when I watched the documentary, I teared up because I feel like he's somebody I know. Well, here's the crazy thing. Tom Hanks playing him, uh, just even talking uh, in the interview process and the press and, you know, like talking about how he approached the role and stuff like that. He was very mindful that he wasn't going to do an impersonation. So Jesse and I were scared that it would just be Tom Hanks playing Tom Hanks with a sweater. But it wasn't like it like. It is. I saw this in a different person's review, and it affirmed something I was feeling. This might be the best performance he's ever had. It was like yeah. it was really? transformative, and it wasn't derivative. It wasn't like, oh yeah, he kind of looks like Walt Disney, and so I'm buying that he's Walt Disney. It wasn't that. It I was did like love him as Walt he Disney. captures the cadence and the mannerisms and the gentleness and the intentionality that just is what Fred Rogers exuded. He captured the aura. More than it was like an impression, you know what I mean? It was so. And I think that's powerful. what that's what kind of left me cold about like Rami Malek, who I do like, uh, but did, was not a big fan of his performance in Bohemian Rhapsody, where he played Freddie Mercury, because it felt more like a almost like an SNL bit. Like yeah. if I can yeah, just like get the fake teeth on and do the right accent, yeah. then that does all the work for me. But it didn't really feel like, and I'm I was curious to see, and I, I'm glad to hear that because I think that when you're playing somebody who's so well known, who's as well known as Fred Rogers is, who we all right. have a very, very firm idea of how Fred Rogers talks and acts, it's more important to try to get the spirit than yeah. to do the impersonate than to just get the voice down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. It, it, he wasn't trying to do an impersonation at all, but he absolutely was intentional about capturing the the spirit of him. Yeah. And any and he nailed it. And, yeah. and, and I don't want to, I don't want to say too much about it because I, I don't want the, the experience for people to be spoiled in any way, but the, even the approach that the filmmakers took to telling the story, you know, what you're introduced yeah. to in the first few minutes of the movie uh, was, you know, so credit to the screenwriters and the director for being willing to take a bold, unorthodox yeah. approach to storytelling that when you, if you were to read about it, if I were to tell you about it, you'd probably be skeptical. When you're watching it, like Cameron said, it ends up being one of the best movies you've ever seen. And and I, from what I've read, I've been doing a lot of reading about the the film and since its premiere. I mean, like in seeing the last, what other people were yeah. saying about it. And, like, and, are, are we crazy? <laughs> like, was it as yeah, good as we yeah, think yeah. it was? And it's it's come out of the festival as largely looked at as the favorite to win Best Picture this year. I mean, it's <gasps> way too early to say that, but right now, if if 
I mean, I'm sure there are Vegas odds out there. They bet on everything, but I, I, I'm I'm quite certain it is the favorite to win Best Picture. It was an unbelievable experience. And and for those wondering, was Fred Rogers's faith downplayed or removed or whatever? It was absolutely uh, accurately represented about being as important to him as a person as it was in his real story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like okay. the movie did not try to downplay the fact that he prays for people every morning and writes letters to people praying for them by name two hours every morning. They did not play down any of his faith elements. And, and so just as a believer, it's really powerful, but more so this is a movie and a message that is so needed in 2019. And I cannot wait for everybody to experience it. And then after the screening, we got a chance. Yes. Yes. Go here to talk. To the cast, the entire cast, the screenwriters, the producers, the director, everybody was there. There was only, I mean, I was shocked how few journalists were there, but it was like Esquire and the Saturday Evening Post and and the New York Times and whatever. It was like a gathering of press with all the cast and and and, and stuff and, uh, and, and were able to talk to them and ask some questions and stuff about the film. And it was really an amazing experience. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. afterwards, we got to spend some time with the screenwriters who, uh, you know, approach us after th- things had concluded. Not and us. No, 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 no. The second, they approached you, Jesse, the second, with your good vibes. The second it was From like, okay, we're kind of yeah. done now. Cameron walks right out to the hallway and stands there with his phone. Yeah, for Jesse sure. Jesse doesn't show up for 25 minutes. Because he made friends with everybody back in the room, and I couldn't go back in. You know, I couldn't be like, "Hey, what's going on, everybody?" Well, Including Tom Hanks, Jess. No, it, it was I, I mainly hung out with Noah and Micah, uh, who we, we have we, we exchanged some contact info. Got to know <laughs> these guys a bit. Got to know these guys a bit. They're, they they are big. They they were our relevant readers, and they wanted to introduce oh themselves gosh. and talk. In two great guys. They have interesting faith stories themselves, but they were, you know, very um, intentional with how the presentation of faith was done in this movie. And we, you know, we kind of talked, um, you know, just on a personal level about each other's kind of stories and backgrounds. One of them is from Tulsa. And so we had some some common, you know, background there having gone having me having gone to ORU. And getting to know their what what really seemed genuinely like their heart for this movie was, you know, they want people of faith to be portrayed in a way that is fair and accurate and not like overly proselytizing. And they wanted they saw this as an opportunity. You know, we had talked. It was off the record. So I don't want to say too much about some of the other stories that they had considered telling and screenwriting uh, before, but they were all faith stories. And, but they, when they, when they landed on this approach to the Fred Rogers story, they knew they were onto something special and, you know, credit to them. Like I said, because the script is bold, like this is not a movie like you've seen before. I cannot advocate enough. This is not like the righteous gemstones where I'm saying it's really funny, but I can't endorse it. I'm endorsing it fully. There you go. All right. Okay. Okay. We have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, Dear White People star Logan Browning joins us uh, to talk about how her personal faith inspired her real world activism and her passion for making this sorts of film or shows like she does. Dear White People, the awesome uh, critically acclaimed Netflix show. So stay tuned for Logan Browning coming up later. All right. Well, that'll do it for your international update and Jackson, (laughs) Alan Jackson encounters stay Take tuned up next slices, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned up next it slices oh, man.
me something tall and strong Make it a hurricane before I go insane It's only half past twelve, but I don't care It's five o'clock somewhere You're listening to Alan Jackson It's five o'clock somewhere <laughs> And Jimmy Buffett's also on that song Oh, Jesse. Uh, at the beginning of the podcast, you heard Briston Maroney with Steve's First Bruise. Okay, it's time for... Slices! What do you have, Jesse? All right, well, Chandler, we've, we're all impressed by your Julie's Black card. That may be a one-of-one. One. I don't know how many are out in the world, but <laughs> I read about a, a food card this week, and I am going to make it my mission to get <laughs> on the short list of people who own it because this is, we've talked about this before. Corey Asbury has a Chick-fil-A black card that entitles him to free Chick-fil-A. Chandler is a Chili's, it, yours is a black card too. Is it black or red, Chandler? It's red. A red card holder. Red. Well, those are very elite. I don't, I'm not saying they aren't cool, but I found about, I found out about the most elite card of them all. And this is the Burger King crown card. No, I don't even like Burger King. Okay. I can't remember the last time I got anything from Burger King. It is my mission to be the 13th person to own, <laughs> to have. Do you, are the other 12 famous? Do we <laughs> yes, know any of them? And they all have stories. They all have Burger oh, King stories. This is why it pays to have stories, live an eventful life. Because if you get famous and you have an old Burger King story, Burger King's going to find out and put you in this elite club of 12 like really notable people who Burger King played an important role in their life. Okay. So Burger King hunts down these people and they give them the BK crown card, which enables you to <laughs> as much Burger King as you want for your entire life forever. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's no limits. Mm-hmm. There's no ceiling on this card. But the, okay. but the 12 are famous people. Yes. Well, not all of them. A lot oh, of okay. mo- most. So I, 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 they didn't publish the whole list, but here's a couple. Uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. has a ha, is 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 a Burger King crown card holder because you may remember Robert Downey Jr.'s story. He he was a promising up and coming actor and got into some trouble and some substance abuse issues. Well, in in an interview, he never wanted, recovered. His career crashed, <laughs> and that was it. Never heard from again. And he yeah. Well, thankfully, he he ended up uh, 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 kicking his addictions. You know, he's he, you know has recovered, and 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 is now one of the biggest movie stars in the world. But you know what he credits to his uh, uh, <laughs> substance abuse uh, helping him get through it was eating greasy meals at Burger King would calm what? him down when he was having post addiction panic attacks he would eat burger king and that would calm him down uh that's why uh in the first iron man movie tony stark orders burger king food burger king was so impressed by robert downey jr's burger king story that they made him part of the club uh another one jennifer hudson before she was a famous actress and singer, she worked at Burger King and would practice singing by singing into the microphone to customers at the drive through window. She got she practiced as a Burger King employee. Another one is Greg Garcia, who's a comedy writer uh, who's done a bunch with uh, sitcom work. But you may remember the writer's strike from a few years ago. You guys yeah. remember the writer's strike? <laughs> I do. Well, yeah. in order yeah. to he wanted to like refill 
his cauldron of stories so that when the strike was over that uh, he would have interesting things to write about. So during the writer strikes, he got a job at Burger King just to uh-huh. meet interesting people and te- and find a bunch of funny stories to tell. He gets a black card. Jay Leno has a black card. Uh, George Lucas has a black card Why? because George Lucas from the beginning of the Star Wars days always chose to partner with Burger King for big merchandise opportunities. This is the elite people. This isn't just, hey, I need a card. Hey, I want to draw a publicity. You have to have personal ties to Burger King. I don't even eat Burger King. I'm going to find a way to have something incredible happen at Burger King. You know, I think if you had like, if you gave birth at a Burger King, you might, th- th- that baby might get on the black car. We need to figure this out, guys. <laughs> this is the elite of the elite. I don't see you giving birth at a Burger King, Jesse. I don't see any of y'all giving birth anywhere. <laughs> I need, Shock, I Shock need G, uh, you know, on in the song, The Humpty Dance, a very eventful thing happened in a Burger King bathroom. If you remember that line, I don't know if you remember that. I line. Can you Humpty repeat Dance. it for us? I cannot. Well, he says, he says, I once got busy play in a Burger one, King Jenner. bathroom. Yeah. Just a quick Dance. reminder. We endorse the uh, Mr. Rogers movie, not what Cameron just mentioned. Yeah. All right. We're playing the Humpty Dance in the next break. So it's not that I like Burger King, but I like elite status. I want to be in a club. Right. You know, like I said, those other they cards are Coke cool. Ices. I'm all for Burger King. Those actually, other car- Coke I would use it if they awarded me one. I would use it. But this is this is just for the status like this is one of the most elite groups on earth hey they have the new uh impossible, impossible burger, burger. Yeah. i mean they're doing plant-based burgers yeah, now. yeah that's so. true hey and it's delicious healthy. actually those impossible Pretty burgers good. are good i would be in a club with literally 12 other people and i like to think that the that the bk crown club card holders probably get together at a secret like illuminati type of lair you know, in Europe, like once a year to just dine together and bask in the company of other elite individuals. This would put me into that group. So I challenge <laughs> listeners, tweet at me. Let me know your ideas to get me as the 13th member of the BK Club Crown Club. I think I think it's a reasonable goal. And I am I am d- making it the focus of my life from here on out until that mission is accomplished. <laughs> so. All right. Hey, you guys want to hear a serious one, too? Or no? A twofer? Oh, How weird. A twofer. Oh, once uh, again. Barna recently pa- partnered with World Vision, and they wanted to determine uh, the values of um, 18 to 35-year-olds around the globe. You know, both of those or- organizations are interested in determining belief systems uh, but but World Vision wanted to partner with them to particularly talk about how faith and sort of a pull for activism actually shaped them. Um, what they found, some of it's encouraging, some of it's a little concerning. One is uh, like anxiety, specifically about finances, vocation and global issues is pretty prominent in that group with more than 40 percent saying they experience anxiety about those topics. Um, they also are, uh, a lot of them are, this is, this is the main one I wanted to talk about is how a lot of them are, have a hard time justifying or, or rectifying human suffering and global suffering around the globe with their faith. Um, the ones who report being religious about half said that they don't have good answers for, how their faith can exist in the world with this much suffering and how, you know, God basically allows bad things to happen. They feel very passionate. All the other questions show they have a very uh, deep passion for changing the world and helping people that are suffering. But 
more about half in that demographic who are Christians say they 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 don't know how to answer the questions when uh, terrible things happen and, and someone asks them how does God allow this to happen uh, they want to fix well, would it the other half would the other half care to tell us. <laughs> answer is because I'm not sure. Yeah, well, well, I'm well, I think I think fifty percent thinks yeah. they have a good one. But but I do think that shows like you know I mean even even that response like I, I I'm not sure that I necessarily have like a good answer no, for that. I don't no, know that you know it really like threatens my faith. Like some people have said it does, but I do think it's interesting that it's it's obviously if that many people uh, say that that's a problem for them, I do think it seems like something that the church should do better to address because, uh, you know, I think there are different theologies about it, but I think what we've tried to advocate for, uh, in, in kind of what we are able to do here at relevant is really showing that like we can be the change, like we can be the hands and feet of Christ. And, you know, it's not so much that God allowing these things to happen, but God, uh, empowering us, to be the alleviation and to be the source of healing mm. and, the, and the source of comfort for people that are suffering. Um, but, you know, and, and part of the reason they commissioned this is to better understand people's motives for wanting to get involved. But, you know, with half saying that they don't know how to answer those tough questions, I do think it shows sort of a void in church teaching on it. Annie, obviously you're involved in, in teaching and, and right. preaching. What do you, what what is your response when you hear a number like that? I mean, I think the bigger problem isn't what people are saying from up front at church. The bigger problem is people feel very insecure to answer that question. Mm. Right? It, it's not necessarily that they don't know the sentences that they could say. It's that it, when someone comes at you with that question, it feels like I will never give them a satisfying answer. I bet I don't have a good answer. Mm. Yeah, And so I, I, I'm thinking more about how people are self-identifying as unable to answer that question. I, it's, it's more of an insecurity than an actual truth. Mm. And, and what you like, what would be, not that you have, I'm, I'm not saying every. <laughs> You're every, like 50% of us should do that. So Annie and Cameron, y'all answer. <laughs> no, no, but, but I'm saying like, and not that I'm not saying like big complicated uh, questions need to have like succinct answers. But right. if if this is like a big problem and if you had to give an answer to someone that's essentially a form of, you know, they see something bad happen on the news and they believe they serve a, lo- a loving, just God and want to know how can this happen? What would what would your response? And if you don't want to answer, you certainly don't have I to. I don't mind answering. What, I refuse to let fear keep me from answering a question about Jesus. So I will do the best what, I can. What were you What were you to say if you were approached by one of these yeah. the half of the? Population? I mean, I think the the reality is is that there. I mean, and y'all are seeing this in our. We talked about it Friday with Morgan Cameron. Like we're seeing it in in people really close to me in Nashville as well. Of like people are suffering and that is not a new experience on this planet. People have been suffering for a really long time because this planet isn't our home and it isn't the end. The only hope we have in the midst of suffering is Jesus. And so we, we can't alleviate suffering. It's just going to happen because we live on a planet that is fallen. And so that's how it goes. What you do with the suffering is what matters. Not, I mean, the days we're not suffering are the ones we should be grateful for, not surprised when we are, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I just think there's a, the narrative probably shouldn't be why, why does bad things happen to good people or why isn't God? I thought God was kind. I thought he was loving. How's this happen? The truth is suffering is 
suffering is one of the things every single one of us have in common. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing we get to offer to people who don't know Jesus is that the only reason I can talk about him in the middle of my suffering is because of the hope that he is. That's right. Absolutely right. It's a good answer. I, I don't have anything for that. So uh, <laughs> I hope that, that you, you know, swung the balance a little. Now the majority will say they know I mean, the I answer. think that's, it's a good thing for us to talk about today too, as well, because today is um, world suicide prevention. Mm. And, and so they're just, it is just such a good reminder for any of our friends listening that there is always hope. Even when you feel like you're out of it, even when you feel like it's gone, there's all there's always even just a smidge of hope. So before giving up, look for it one more time. There you go. All right. What do you have, Tyler? The French beat. Okay. So I'm bringing a story from the world of tech today. So buckle up because I don't really know what I'm talking about with any of this stuff, but I'm fascinated, (laughs) fascinated by this new device, by this new device from the from the tech story. So their MIT has has created this new pair of gl- they look like glasses if you look they look like very bad ugly glasses they're they're kind of blocky and, and white they're called attentive view and what these things do they have an, an EEG monitor and it will plug into your brain and it can notice when you are and are not paying attention okay so when you're so if you're sitting in class if you're reading a book if you're at work, if you're watching your your TED talk, whatever it is, it'll monitor your actual brain waves, and it can and it knows when you stop when you when you lose focus on that, and then it will send you what it is calling a nudge to remind you you got to start paying attention to this thing again, and it does this via two ways. One is via what they describe as bone conduction auditory feedback in which it uses your skeleton as sort of an amplifier for a little for a little uh, apparently it's a bird sound like a tweet They're like hey <laughs> your mind's drifting your mind's wandering you wow. get back get back on focus but it also does does this haptically it sends a little uh physical nudge to your brain as well that you feel uh to let you know that you've stopped focusing and a little a little bump that one's called uh so that sounds a little bit invasive to me <laughs> obviously, to, but but as long as you pay attention, I guess it's not that big of a deal. So I'm curious if, about what you guys feel like. Maybe the moral, uh, if there's any moral issue, or, or with the with the level of of potential invasion going on here with this pair of glasses uh, that that can monitor, that can read your mind, and let both you and obviously people like your instructors know when you are when your mind's wandering. I, I'll go first. Though I stopped paying attention almost immediately. So, <laughs> so I don't even know what we're talking so about. So let me ask you this. Can you start from the top? No, no. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does seem like, listen, I don't think it's a big surprise to anyone who is living in modern times that attention spans are, are quickly shortening. You know, like I, oh, yeah, it, I get it. Yeah, so do I. I mean, I mean, I can't even watch like, like if I see a YouTube video, I mean, you know, Tyler, you and I in particular are always hunting for interesting content and interesting things to mm-hmm. uh, uh, post and share and, and and hopefully spark discussions about. But if I see a YouTube video that's over two minutes, I'm like, what? two minutes? I don't have, a, I didn't <laughs> oh, take yeah. the day off today. Like, this <laughs> 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 is a half day here. I'm not, you know, like, I, it's hard for me. I don't even, I, I like going to movies more than I like watching movies at home because sometimes I like have trouble sitting through an entire movie at oh, home. Oh, if I'm watching a movie at home, 
I'm doing something else. I'm yeah. on my phone. I'm on Pinterest. I'm folding laundry. I'm yeah. never just watching a movie like I do it in a movie theater. But but I, I think the applications of this is, it seem to be professional and academic, right? Like if you're locked into doing something. But I, I've developed... I mean, well, it always starts that way, right? They always tell you, like, first off, oh, we're just going to use it to make sure that you that you've finished the the class, that, and then before you go on your way, that's how it starts. But but it's not going to stay there. Like, there's no there's no oversight body at MIT yeah. to make sure that they keep using it for this and only this purpose, right? right. It, it, and I think it it solves a problem in a like such an invasive way like invasive way. But I, I think it also, along with like our declining attention spans, I think, you know, obviously MIT and Silicon Valley, th- there are so many places that see the purpose of a day as efficiency. You know, you look right, at, right. you know, in Silicon Valley, in addition to apps that heighten efficiency and, you know, you hear these stories. And if you watch Silicon Valley of, you know, people working through the night, you know, night after night and figuring out ways to sleep less or like Jack Dorsey limiting his diet to like three items so that it's less time like making decisions or Steve job. He wore the same thing every day because there's an efficient way to dress and approach the world. Like I Mm -hmm. I don't have to think about what I'm going to wear. It could be more mind power and time spent doing work or even like solulent, like that Silicon Valley weird, you know, shake that is like a meal replacement thing where you can drink this and not waste time eating. I think what what aside from the invasion invasiveness of the technology, which is actually chiming the bones under your flesh, you know, I don't think I don't know if you can think of anything more invasive than that. I think it also is like sad commentary and concerning commentary on the idol of efficiency that we have in culture. Like if if I'm working, I'm going to be efficient, but I also realize that the creative process looks different for different people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you, if you never stop and run down a rabbit trail, then you're really going to limit your ability to think in, in outside the box ways. And, uh, you know, Mm. if you, if you don't take time, to, you know, sit down and have breakfast in the morning or if you don't, you know, or, or to strike up a conversation or, you know, to uh, even even while you're you're working, it's really easy to say, well, I'm not going to answer any of my chats because I'm only going to do this one thing and I'll move on to this other thing. This I've I, I've developed. I've realized like that becomes problematic for me because mm. what 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 happens is it creates anxiety because you create these kind of false milestones when you're really when, when if you realize like, hey, if I move through the ebb and flow of my day. I I can work in a way that's way I get way more done. So even though I'm not like monitoring like efficiency with some device, it's like, oh, different minds work different ways. And that's okay. Like, especially when you're working in a field that's creative or involves collaboration. If I close my chat window and say I'm blocking that out for the next hour, I'll catch up later. That that's that becomes a problem because I'm putting some arbitrary deadline over conversations with my colleagues that could help in the collaboration. It just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of rambling here at this point, but I, I, I just think it like it's emblematic of a problematic problem. Like it seems like a symptom of a greater problem. There might be times. Yeah. But I feel like this is designed for a very, for one extremely specific type of, of what we call productivity. And obviously it's the one that we've put the highest premium on here in the U S but it still doesn't make room for, we don't have technology that can, 
that can tell us maybe you're thinking about something that's that's different or better or more important yeah. or yeah, actually going to funnel your productivity in a different direction than what's being taught in your class right now or in this article that you're supposed to be reading. And until we can develop that technology, then I'm not sure that the this use of this seems extremely narrow to not just one specific field, but one specific type of person. Yeah. yeah. All right. What do you have, Annie? Drum roll, gentlemen. I've got a twofer. I've got a twofer. I'm very proud of myself. The first one, I'm kind of disappointed Eddie's not here because I kind of... Uh, found it in honor of something I thought Eddie would love, but he'll hear it eventually. You guys, in Ardmore, Oklahoma, this is a fast twofer. In Ardmore, Oklahoma, there is an Airbnb that is the Golden Girls themed house. It is an entire house themed like the show Golden Girls. (laughs) And it is actually on Blanche's childhood property. Okay, so you can you, stay oh, well, there. If you stay at that Airbnb, there's a 99% chance you're going to be murdered by a serial killer wearing like an elderly <laughs> woman's dress that night. No, <laughs> it's so funny. Every room is decorated just like it was in Golden Girls. There's framed pictures of all the women all over the house. So I'm just saying for anyone who wants to stay halfway between Oklahoma City and Dallas, just search for the Golden Girl guest house and it is available. And, and it's be awesome. smothered in your sleep by a floral oven net. <laughs> That's the house for you. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Okay. So speaking of Cameron, your face, what does your face say right now? I'm literally thinking about how cool it would be if more people did this. Like if I, but I wouldn't right. want to stay in Oklahoma in that house. I would want to stay in Miami. Yeah. If there was a sure. house yeah. in Miami that was exactly the Golden Girl's house. Yes. I, there's no amount of money. I would absolutely it'd be incredible. But I'm thinking yes. about how many other iconic houses like the Brady Homes. Bunch house yes. and whatever like that we could stay in. Or, or like, like if you could stay in like a Manhattan apartment that looks just like Jerry's. You know, Jerry yeah, Seinfeld. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or, or like the Friends thing. Because they didn't change. You got to go look at it, Cameron. They didn't change the um, like they didn't change the walls. So it's so it's not this like you it's not a replica, but every room but I'm looks saying similar. Build a replica. Like yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I don't, replica. I don't want like a motif. I want the actual house, like a Jerry's yeah. apartment. You want, the, you want the like the Simpsons house layout? How cool oh would gosh, that the be? Simpsons house? Yeah. Can you imagine? You know what though? <laughs> it would be because the way they shoot these shows with the with the third wall gone, they yeah. all they all feel a lot bigger than they would in real life. You know, so yeah. we yeah. all walk in and go, "Oh, this is too small." You know what I mean? Like, right, but right. it's probably accurate. You know. We should do that. It's worth thinking through. It, it reminds me, this is like a, a boutique cut, hotel chain. Uh, we should, we should absolutely. Okay, somebody with a lot of money, go do that. Yeah, like and the then, Full House then, Row House in San Francisco. Yeah, like, yeah. that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Cameron, this reminds. This is a deep cut, but we, we watched it together. It was the on the Netflix series. I think you should leave now. Like the yeah. kind of surrealist comedy series. Remember the last episode? The whole bit is one of the this, these coworkers that these people work with bought Jim Davis's house, the Garfield creator, and everything in it is highly Garfield. Like, yeah. Really? And, and, yeah, but the joke is at the end, I it's not actually Garfield. Jim Davis's house, and it really is a serial killer. It is a very funny oh. sketch, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so here's the second part of my twofer. It ties so directly. While there is a beautiful Golden Girls house available for you to rent, the bad news is, is that millennials aren't going on vacation. Research Bro. says that 55% of millennials say they don't go on vacation, didn't go on vacation in 2018 because of financial reasons. 
because of bills and student debt and how pricey it is to do a vacation. I think we all grew up not realizing how expensive it was when our parents took us on vacation. And then you get to be a grown up and over half of our friends decide I'm not going to go on vacation because it costs so much, which is very sad. But, but and there, it says even, yeah, I was going to say, but there are ways to travel like without spending, without doing like, the cheap. yeah, yeah. Sure. You can do it if you're like motivated, you know? Yeah, totally. And in fact, it says 76% of millennials are trying to save money for travel, but they expect their travel budget to be under a thousand dollars. And most of them say it ends up when you actually travel, when actually you actually um, budget out the trip, it's over $2,000. And so they don't have enough. Yeah. And so that um, it says 74% of millennials wish they could save more money to spend on vacations and 37% say they have gone into vacation related debt. Mm. You guys, we don't yeah. need to go into debt. Yeah. Don't go into debt over vacation. Just go vacation. to the Golden Girls house <laughs> with your it's friends. very cheap. It's not that expensive. It's so cheap. I feel like they're luring people there. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Well, cheap. I'm not going to lie. Everything I've learned about the Golden Girls house, including the price, he'll actually fly you out there uh, on his dime. This gentleman who's the proprietor feels like a trap. It feels like <laughs> he's paying me to come stay there. This feels a little weird. This feels weird. And, Jesse, and I, yeah. do you realize you're in the middle of a long con of a similar sort? You know, like an isolated rancher from Missouri. You know, <gasps> befriending a man uh, at oh. a bar at an airport. Giving Jesse's him his wait, number. Are you saying Alan Jackson? Jackson? See this blink of Jesse's face where he suddenly realized his life was in danger. Do you, you're saying Alan Jackson is in on this? <laughs> like this was uh, all they a highly orchestrated <laughs> thing? They did not exchange numbers. You said you exchanged numbers before Alan Jackson even arrived. That's exactly this right. This guy is Cameron. luring you to his ranch out in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. Listen, I'm a very easily lurable person in general. Yeah. Like it wouldn't right. take a library con. If someone invited me to somewhere cool that I didn't really know, I'd be like, all right, why not? Let's check it out. Let's do it. Let's do this thing. Golden Girls house. Cool. Whatever you say, serial killer. <laughs> it's kind of weird that there's locks on the outside of the bedroom doors, but uh, sure, why not? I'll stay in Blanche's room. <laughs> I'm trapped. Help me. <laughs> I would never say in Blanche's room. That that's that too, too much has gone down in Blanche's room. Oh boy. Whose room are you staying in, Dorothy? I think I'd, I'd, I'd Rose. I'd probably do Rose. Rose. It would smell so like good. grandma, but like right. Dor- Dorothy's, I think would be the most normal room. Can we, right. can we talk about one thing about grandmother's houses in general real quick? Yeah, of course. Is can. the elaborate and, and I don't mean to be crude, but I yeah. watch, you know, I watch home shows and so I feel like it's fine to talk about bathroom remodeling the elaborate toilet decor. <laughs> Like toilet seats yeah. that have like a furry yeah. carpet on top yeah. and the tanks that have like the furry, like it's like pink kind of fabric. And mm-hmm. then the yeah. seats mm-hmm. that are like a cushion, you know, yeah. like, yeah. Why is it that so and many the toilet water is blue? Well, yeah. You, yeah. And, and, and the blue, it's like I'm in the heart of the Caribbean, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, why is it that so many grandmothers went with that motif? It like, oh. I don't think putting like shag carpet 
all right. on every surface of the toilet does not seem sanitary. And the, and the right. colorful right. hand soaps, you know, like yeah. there's a little dish of like hand soaps that you can't like, use. Yeah, they're like clamshells. Wash your hands. Like, yeah, right. they're all shells. <laughs> Why are they all shells? I got it in Florida. Wait, wait, wait. I thought that was a Florida grandma. No, thing. no, You're that's saying? all grandmothers. That's a generation. Oh, wow. Annie, can, can you confirm this in your part of the country? Oh, yes. Grandmothers. Tyler, have you befriended any old Italian, uh, French grandmothers and used <laughs> their bathroom? <laughs> I, no, no, I've only been in so far pretty normal. But I mean, but the French are different. We're talking. It's, it's not fair. French are a different kind of people. They're it's very utilitarian in bathrooms. Now in America, I'm right there with you, Jesse. And there's yeah. also little shelves, like one shelf for the practical stuff, the soap, the toothbrushes. Right. And then there's another shelf. There's another shelf for the seashells. Yeah, uh, a framed sort of like picture. Sailboat yeah, a thing. framed yeah, picture yeah, a framed of the family right. in the bathroom. Right. Yeah. And all the magazines you don't want to read. All the magazines that are just like, why would I read any of that? I'm not bored that bored. <laughs> <laughs> and and when you like the things that get in the air in a bathroom, I like it settles oh, onto those items. That's, you know what what I, mean? that's what I'm is saying. Is grandma really scrubbing them down every week or is that stuff accumulating? Well, you know what that, I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. Oh, if, if, if I have to figure out the most unsanitary thing to wrap the surface of the toilet in, shag carpet's probably number one. There's a lot of fabric <laughs> for things to work their way into. Like yeah. it's See, you know, like I think it's porcelain for a reason. You can just lice all the whole thing down. <laughs> Covering it in shag carpet so defeats gross. the purpose. That's all. That's all. I'm just saying. It, it, but it was a generation of grandmothers that that was the thing. That's what you did if you live if you had a classy place. You know, right? That's right. All right. Well, that'll do it for Sisa. Stay tuned. Up next, Logan Browning joins us. listening to Foster the People. The song is Pick You Up. Well, today's show is brought to you by Trinity Retreat Center. Changing the world is hard work and Trinity Retreat Center is a place you can go to slow down, be in nature, and reconnect with God, your family and friends, or a group of people you work with. You'll be giving yourself space to discern direction for your life and leave refreshed and motivated. The Retreat Center is a beautiful riverside sanctuary in West Cornwall, Connecticut. It was recently renovated, and your stay includes a private room with a private bathroom and, a, and delicious farm-to-table meals. And guess what? It has mission pricing. Listen to this. Which means your stay is as low as $50 a person per night. And that includes your room, your meals, and activities. If you're wondering why it's so affordable, it's a mission of Trinity Church Wall Street, a New York City Episcopal parish that aims to serve and heal the world. People from all over the country come to Trinity Retreat Center for its themed retreats for individuals and families and group retreats for nonprofits and educational groups. Visit trinityretreatcenter.org to learn more. That's trinityretreatcenter.org. How apropos with what we were just talking about. Exactly. Right. About the pace affordable. of life. Isn't that cool? That's so affordable. I know. I'm like, uh, That's staff retreat, yeah, everybody. I'm kind of like, <laughs> I'm going to book myself a little, little, little getaway. I was tempted to. A little retreat. I was tempted to go. Yeah, I was tempted to go get murdered at the Golden Girls house. But this actually <laughs> sounds cheaper and nicer. And there's a there's a highly light, less likely chance of uh, being uh, murdered by a uh, psychotic uh, Golden Girls fan. So. Or, or a Missouri rancher. Well, Logan Browning is the star of the Netflix show Dear White People, which recently released its third season. The series follows uh, Logan's character, Samantha, a campus activist fighting for racial justice. 
We recently spoke with her for a feature in the newest show of Relevant 101, which is shipping now. Uh, we talked to her about the show and her personal faith, which inspires her real-life activism. Here is part of our conversation with Logan Browning. So, Logan, in Dear White People, you play Samantha, who's an activist on a college campus, uh, who balances the things that are going on in her life as a student, along with her activism and her radio show that uh, tries to discuss racial justice issues. I was wondering, when you actually talk to real college students, what is their reaction to the show, and do they relate to Sam? To be honest, all social change over time, you know, when you think about even the civil rights movement, it began on campuses. Um, that's where movement started. When you think about like lunch counter sit-ins, those all started with young people on college campuses, but people having to deal with it today and, and hearing from them, you know, when I visit schools and hearing from them what they're actually dealing with on a day-to-day basis, it gives me so much pause. Cause I just, I can't imagine trying to get through eight semesters or more, and also fighting for injustices or against injustices. So what I hear from them is that they feel comforted by watching Sam go through the same things they're doing because there aren't a lot of shows where you, you're seeing a character go through the ups and downs of trying to be a part of a, a movement that's bigger than them. Logan, I know that you grew up in the church and that you are a Christian and faith is a big part of your life. How does your Christian faith inform your approach to real life activism? I've always just wanted to um, model my approach to activism with um, how uh, Christianity approaches uh, love and that it, you know, how compassionate love is, that it protects, that it serves, that, you know, it's not self-seeking. And for me, that's, always what I go back to at the end of the day to figure out if something is, you know, if something is happening in the world and I'm looking at it um, through my lens and I'm questioning, you know, how this can happen in the world or, you know, is this right or wrong? I always go back to, is it love? Is it rooted in love? If I can't find that there, then I fight for that. I fight for the love angle. I fight for how, how do I protect that love that's being destroyed? So that's kind of always what I fight for or what I kind of angle myself as. Logan, tell me a little bit about why you feel called to show like your white people are also to be vocal about issues of racial injustice and be an activist as a Christian. Being um, someone who was raised Christian and still is a Christian, I find it important for someone like me who is a very out of the box thinker and very like open to so many ideas to to speak up and be in positions of activism because I think that sometimes it's misguided that, you know, any, any group of people all have the same ideas. Like that's the point of dear white people that a group of young black people can all have completely different ideas. Duh. That's just how human nature is. And so being a Christian is the same way. Like your faith is based on certain things, but the way you view the world can be completely different from someone else. And so being lumped in a category sometimes is, you know, that's why I always want to speak up to the people. Um, I think that Christians get a bad rep sometimes in terms of being, you know, when, because there are hateful people in the world who are Christians, who, who make other people feel left out uh, and unloved. And I just find it my job to, to make sure that I'm not one of those people. 
You know, Logan, I think a lot of people watch uh, Dear White People and that will will be familiar with your work and hear interviews like this and maybe are from different backgrounds from Sam or from the characters on the show. And but they still want to be an ally. They still want to help the cause of racial injustice and understand communities and people who are different than them. What would your advice be? Uh, to someone who wants to be an ally, who wants to enact change and really wants to fight for uh, racial justice? When it comes to allyship, all you have to do is listen, is, is listen to what the people who are either already speaking up about an injustice are saying and, and help to amplify those voices. There are so many ways that you can amplify voices that are already having something to say. And there is also ways you can crush their voices because a lot of times the people who are in a position of being great allies in our society have sometimes more access to things. And um, whether that's, you know, whether you're a man, whether you're white, whether you're, whether, you know, you live in a certain place, like people have different privileges and accesses. And so just listening and amplifying is the simplest way. And in terms of watching the show, I think the show heals on its own and, and helps people to empathize. And I think when you can empathize with more people, it just encourages you to want to protect more people and not just yourself or the people who look like you, you know? That was Logan Browning. Stay tuned up next. Your feedback. Game off the arm and hammer. Swim towards the current. System trying to drown me. Stain your regular like four rocks and darks. Spin cycle, have four times for one. Out the slums. Nobody gave me nothing. Had temptation, so I hustled David Ruffin. You're listening to Danny Brown. The song is Dirty Laundry. All right, it's time for your feedback. Last week, we, we got talking about vanity license plates. Right. I forget why. Other than the fact that Jesse went to the DMV in Virginia and almost bought a horse lover license plate. That's yeah. right. That's horse right. enthusiast. That's right. For people enthusiastic about horses. <laughs> <laughs> and need, and need a new license plate for a fleet as well. They're available for That's fleet right. prices. So. Yeah. Um, so we asked you, what are some of the craziest uh, customized uh, license plates that you've seen out in the wild? You guys went nuts on this one. You hit us up uh, on Twitter at Relevant Podcast and sent us pictures because we didn't want you to just make up funny ones. We wanted evidence. Yeah. Right. And you guys sent pictures of actual license plates. I did it. And uh, here are a few of our favorites. I'm telling you, there's so many. You guys need to just go back and like look at our mentions and just scroll through them and laugh. There's yeah. crazy ones, but here's here's a few yes. of our favorites. I, I like LH's before. This one isn't a vanity plate, but it is one of those custom decorative plates that you can get. This one's in Florida, and it's available for a fleet. And it says, discover Florida's horses. What's up with these very <laughs> odd, like, decorative plates? Discover Florida's horses? I wh- Where? Like, <laughs> what an odd thing to have on your vehicle. Okay. Oh, okay. My my favorite. I, I'm the, my favorite is Jessica's. So she says my parents thought uh, this would be a cute uh, vanity plate for my first car because my childhood nickname was Butterbean. So they got her a license plate, all caps B U T T R space B N Butter <laughs> Bean. Unfortunately, she says at 65 miles an hour, it looks like butt rubbing. <laughs> B-U-T-T-R-B-N. Yep. 
<laughs> Thanks, mom and dad. That's oh, so that's good. great. Oh, butt rubbing. Uh, Sarah, <laughs> Sarah's found this one, uh, and and it, it's it says propane, which if it was spelled correctly would be a very odd thing to put. Like the only person that guy is like Hank Hill, like yeah. someone who's very enthusiastic about, about propane. propane and propane yeah. accessories. Right. But this is misspelled <laughs> to be P R O P A I N. So. Propane. Like, this is someone who is advocating for pain. Propane. It's a very curious choice there. They probably <laughs> own a Golden Girls-themed Airbnb where they murder people. <laughs> <laughs> I liked Enoch's where it's F-R-B-Y-K-N-G, the Furby King. <laughs> he says it's someone who lives in his neighborhood yeah, and shops yeah, at Trader Furby Joe's. King Furby King. That is so weird. Who in 2019 is the Furby King? I guess that guy. Mackenzie said that her favorite number is eight. And so she says, when I turned 16, my parents surprised me with my own vanity plate. Kenzie eight. She says, unfortunately, I was bullied at school. Oh, Kenzie ate what? Which is not good for a teenage girl with self-esteem issues. So Mackenzie, if it's any if it's any consolation, that's a very lame burn on your bully's beha- right. behalf. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I, Greg shared his <laughs> that just says, I am Greg. <laughs> I, know, I am Greg. It's like it's, 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 it's what Groot would have. So I, like yeah. that. I don't want to have that that license plate in my life where it's just me. I am intrigued. I am, I'm intrigued by Benthony's. Benthony's here that says four years ago, a New York plate with a ghost car tried repeatedly to run me and my kids off the road. That's very scary. That'd be, that'd be terrifying to be run off the road repeatedly by a ghost car. Four years later to the day, mm. she was behind the same car Yikes. on the same road. Says she now believe in ghosts, obviously. Duh. But also, <laughs> that's very weird. I'm also curious, did she mark that day in her calendar? Four years later, I don't know where I was four years ago right. today on right. this very day. <laughs> Maybe she took Facebook photos of it and it was like it reminded her that morning like, like also, she day. may she may believe in ghosts now, or that person may just live in her neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, but I am curious about. <laughs> but the if she hasn't, I'm assuming she hasn't seen it since. Yeah, I, I, I am curious about that. They knew their whereabouts four years to the day. It's like, what are yeah. you a character in Serial season one? Like, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> like a random day, <laughs> you know, years joke, ago. <laughs> uh, I like this. <laughs> That's a, another deep cut. Uh, yeah, really uh, well done. Uh, yeah, the, uh, great pop culture references that. 10 people will get. Okay. Uh, this one <laughs> that Ryan spotted, it says, LOL, ISIS. <laughs> like, why? why? Why are we laughing out there? ISIS does not seem like a laughing matter. Are they trying to mock ISIS? Are they saying, LOL, we win? Like, I don't, I don't think it's a laughing matter, but the, uh, Ryan, uh, he, he's assuming that this <laughs> car may belong to Kevin Sorbo because after he feeds Antifa, he'll take his second re- re- amendment rights to new heights lol isis sorbo's on the way <laughs> look out and a random guy riding around the samurai sword yeah <laughs> the reliant too the relianter uh dan says uh red convertible sports car 50-ish year old woman plate was his whoops <laughs> she, okay yeah, so so that's, yeah that's either she has is this in a marriage no longer, or maybe she's renounced her faith. I don't know. It's very oh hard to gosh. tell. Both are equally depressing. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jesse, did you see that Allison found one of the horse enthusiast 
license plates out in the wild in Virginia. Yeah, I love it. It's actually really beautiful, Jesse. And I'm still so shocked you didn't pick that. It's just hysterical. But that's a lovely horse that's on it. People should Google it and look at it. It's very pretty. Yeah, or yeah, check the mentions. I I am intrigued by this one from Austin. Uh, It's a vanity plate. It's apparently it's a law enforcement themed plate. So some sort of uh, a cop supporting plate. And the vanity, the actual letters are Nisi N. E-E-C-Y Nisi. Austin says this is his mother's. It's in Idaho. She lives in Idaho. It's an Idaho play. And he says he doesn't know what it means any more than we do. I'm assuming Austin is he. Doesn't know what it means any more than we Nisi. Is her name Nisi? No. Her name is Denise. Does she work in law enforcement? No. She works in insurance. He says his mother is a mystery. <laughs> I, I like this one from Alex and you can only uh, assume this is a vehicle that belongs to Dave Ramsey. Though springing for the vanity plate does not seem like a very Dave Ramsey thing to no. do. No, that's not. That's yeah, but, off but, brand. but it right. is I space H8 debt. I hate debt. Like, <laughs> like yeah. that seems like yeah. a, a interesting thing just to announce to the world while it's while a little you're braggy to put that on your license plate too. Yeah. Like, yeah, you bought this. Okay. You bought your car in cash. Well done. Dave Ramsey and his family and team are thrilled. You don't have to tell all of us. <laughs> yeah. I, we the, all hate debt. You know, that's yeah. not a unique take. Nobody's pro debt. Find something more unique to you. Ryan saw one that says free mom. And he's like, is she in the trunk? (laughs) (laughs) Are you giving her away? (laughs) Free mom. (laughs) What does that even mean? Who buys that? I don't get it. Well, I did look at, I I was curious. So I I don't know if you saw the picture with that one, but it is a, it is an American flag themed. uh, So it's, it's Oh, she's a mom who loves freedom. She's a free mom. She's a free mom. She is not under. Right. The yeah. oppression of, yeah. you know, of, of children. Of a, yeah. Of a <laughs> dictatorous king. I assume oh. the kids are out of the house. Yeah, yeah. that's funny. She's an empty nester. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Finally free. Ryan also sent this one, and I'm assuming maybe it's a pizza delivery driver because he said it's, it's a, if this was a stand-up comedian supporting his passion with a Domino's uh, pizza delivery job because the, the this is a real ice place. Share the picture. DiGiorno. <laughs> <laughs> But what if your name was DiGiorno? I mean, it's got to be yeah. somebody's name. It's Bob DiGiorno. Yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly. He's just proud of his family heritage. Yeah. <laughs> Roll Rick DiGiorno, supporting the cause. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, another one that this one, there, there's a picture and the bumper was very dented up. But the, pen, the, the license plate said, sense it. And uh, Ryan said, sense based it. on the marks on this bumper, I would not trust this driver's sense of spatial relations. So, are you looking That's in the good. mirrors? No, nah, I'm just That's feeling good. it. I'm just feeling it. Yeah, 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 it just feels right. Yeah. Let's go, go, go. <laughs> but, but think about the person standing in line at the DMV and they're filling out the form. They yeah. wrote, sense it. Like, what? And a, they've dreamed it up, right? I mean, these people have dreamed this up. But, like, what were they going for? What were they trying to communicate to the world? You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's hard to know. Since it. Yeah, it it is like, why was this worth paying for? Like, what exactly, what message are you attempting to send here? Maybe, maybe it's one of those people who does one of those multi-level marketing things with that sense, with the candles that don't melt. And she's like the number one salesperson in the world. She's like, I sensed it. I smelled it. I sold the sense. Because I think one of them is called sense something. But isn't it S-C-E-N-T? Yeah, Not I don't know. S E N S E. It's a big right. mystery. I don't know. I'm just trying to. Mystery. I'm just trying to think here, Cameron. Just Sense. let no ideas be bad ideas, please. Yeah, we're yeah. just brainstorming. I'm just clarifying. Open I'm just space. Asking. Thank I'm you. Just Thank you, Huck. Open space. 
Y'all are so much freer over there in France, Huck. Oh, I've, it's changed me. Yeah. I wish I could explain it to y'all. I, if you're not here, it's hard. Yeah. He's well, a socialist. The grandmothers over there don't even put shag carpet on the toilet. So I don't, <laughs> just I don't, porcelain. I don't, I don't trust them. Because they make so much rigatoni. It doesn't sound rigatoni. very hospitable to me. So much rigatoni. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound hospitable to me at all. All right, there's a lot more where that came from. Go go check them out. Trust us. Just go scroll our feed. It's really funny. Uh, okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. All right, well, earlier in the show, we got talking about like replica Golden Girls houses. And we got talking about actual Golden Girls houses, your grandma's house. We got talking about the... <laughs> we got, got talking about grandma bathrooms. We want to know for this week's question of the week, what's the weirdest thing that your grandma had or has in her in her house? It yeah. could be yes. in the bathroom, the bathroom motif, or it could be something on the wall, on the shelf, yeah. in a drawer. Something weird in your grandma's house. Like, there, there, there is, I think, the AARP back at one point would send out those little corn holders that jam into the side of corn that look like corn. <laughs> Listen, and this is a promise I will them. make to y'all. I have those corn holders and Cameron accuses oh, me them. of being kind of like a grandma. I promise you oh, next I week, them. I will say yay or nay if I own the thing that the person tells us <laughs> is in their grandmother's throw house. another one at you. This one was in every grandmother's house too because for like I haven't seen one outside the, the home of, of anyone but a grandmother. Dinner okay. trays. Like it it is an unfoldable tray that you can sit in front of the couch and eat dinner on. Does yeah. anyone else grandmothers have dinner trays? No. That was just uh, yes, because of the 60s. And so like they were like a mom in the 60s. Now they're grandmothers. Right. But like, right. I mean, that was just what people had. And they just never threw them out. All right. How about know? this? How about this? Like keeping, uh, keeping like using old, like, uh, like butter, like those little plastic cylinders that butter or like sour cream come in. You know what I'm talking about? It's like a, a little yeah. uh, mm-hmm. keeping uh-huh random stuff in those like yeah, every grandmother's that. refrigerator Wait, do you know, you throw away every piece of plastic container that comes into your house it's so wasteful i know i, you I shove it right are in the storm already drain. a grandmother annie you are already a grandmother <laughs> <laughs> She's like, annie what? Downs, your favorite grandmother <laughs> what you you don't you don't care you don't put a bunch of uh uh, assorted nuts in plastic that once held sour cream. What? Who are you? I don't do that, but I put leftovers in containers and plastic containers. About, I, I do think it's odd that I don't that, 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 that assorted nuts in grandmother's homes were left just sporadically in different rooms of yeah. the house on like end tables and stuff. And like, right. how long how are those nuts out there? Jesse, how did we have the same grandmother? That's what I want. Every know. grandmother had this stuff. <laughs> Every grandmother had. You could walk in any room of the house and on like an end table was a little dish with assorted nuts. I don't know when those nuts were placed there. I don't like having just food laying out, but it was just a thing grandmothers did, you know? I don't want to take yeah. all the good ones. Send us, but send ne- us more. But I never, like, I never figured out, like, did she know we were coming over so she put the nuts out or the nuts always out? The nuts are like always I, out because you, because yeah. grandmothers knew this was an age of the pop-in where someone might, someone might <laughs> stop by. Like, if someone stops by, that's a phrase people would say. They might stop but by. But again, I come back to grandma's houses... A lot of older things create a lot of dust. That stuff settles on the nuts. She ain't dusting the nuts. That's the problem. That is the problem. You're eating bacteria. You're eating air bacteria. Yeah. And I don't even know how close it is to that shag carpet on the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) A gust of wind blows through there. Because a lot of of grandmas would just open the window instead of turn the air on if it's cool day outside. So wind's gusting in. Why would you not open the window? Yeah, I'm so, it's your grandmother. Why would you not open the windows? (laughs) I, I have windows in my home that I'm not sure. I don't even know how to open them. I don't know how the latches go. 
All right. Hit us up at Relevant Podcast with the weirdest thing that you saw in your grandma's house. Okay. One more. Uh, One more. Oh, Jesse. There is a shelf that contains trinkets from every vacation they've ever been on. Like a little like a little snail shell or something, you know, like I wasn't gonna say it because my grandparents were missionaries and so like they had kind of like the trinkets from all over the world. So I didn't know that that was in every grandma's house, but that's the defining characteristic of my grandma's house. I've never been to your grandmother's house, but I think I named 10 items that she owned. (laughs) Oh, a hundred percent. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Anyway. All right. Hit us up at relevant podcast, or you can post on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. Many thanks to Logan Browning for joining us. Uh, Dear white people, uh, season three just debuted on Netflix. Go check it out. It's a great show. Also, thanks to Trinity Retreat Center for making the episode possible. Visit trinityretreatcenter.org to learn more and find out about the relevant podcast family vacation that we have scheduled there this fall. I'm kidding. We don't, but we should. We should. We should. I wish that was true. 50 bucks with the food and the lodging and the activities. What are the activities? I don't even know, but that's a good deal. Yeah. Go and breathe. I love it. Hey, uh, if you like the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and rate it and review it. It helps other people find it. And also check out the other podcasts from Relevant. Uh, Not only uh, season two of Unedited is out now, um, but next week we're debuting a new show specifically for church leaders called Called. That's the name of it. Called. It's a church leadership podcast uh, from our team. We're very excited about it. Uh, you know Bianca Oltoff. She'll be part of the cast and some other people we're excited to introduce you to. Some amazing guests in motion. It'll debut next Wednesday, September 18th. But right now, a trailer is up. You can go check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Check out Called. Well, on that note, we will wrap things up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Chandler Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Tyler Huckabee. And I'm Annie F. Downs. We will see you on Friday. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from The Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. I decided I needed a place where a fellow cowboy and someone I can talk some trash to. Relevant Podcast Network.